Trust me, I'm a doctor. Trust me, I'm a doctor. Trust me, I'm a doctor. You're listening to the Trust Me, I'm a Doctor podcast. This is Dr. Sean Stringer, and my job is to educate, inspire, and empower you to add more years to your life and more life to your years. This podcast is for educational purposes only and does not constitute medical advice, nor does it replace the advice of your doctor. So today, I have a special interview with a special guest, Dr. Matt Morris, of Pinnacle Chiropractic. Thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Sean. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Matt. Sure. So I am a, a chiropractor. I'm a lot different than the traditional chiropractor in that uh, really the majority of my practice, 80 to 90%, is spent seeing special needs kids, kids with autism, kids with ADHD, kids with sensory processing disorder, immune challenges, um, a lot of cases like that, that's the majority of cases that we really see in our office. So we don't even uh, see the traditional pain-based uh, patients like you would go see your traditional chiropractor for. Um, so that makes us really, really unique um, in that sense for chiropractic work. Now, how did you get into this? So basically, um, I got out of school, graduated. I thought I was going to be the traditional chiropractor, uh, take care of people with disc issues, back issues, headaches, migraines, those type of things. Um, and I got a couple years into practice, and I realized that my purpose wasn't being fulfilled. I didn't feel like I was making as big of an impact um, that I wanted to. Mm-hmm. And so uh, one of my friends from school uh, introduced me to my mentor now, Dr. Tony Evil, um, and he started a, pro- a training program of training chiropractors specifically how to take care of kids with special needs about five years ago. Um, so this was now about two and a half years ago that I got introduced to Dr. Tony um, and started learning more about his work. And then I eventually um, joined to train underneath him um, and get experience of, of really helping these kids. So um, this is really my life's work and my passion now is, and definitely feel like my purpose is being fulfilled and having a big impact, um, in our local community, mm-hmm. um, in helping these kids, uh, especially and the families as well, um, giving them hope, giving them answers, um, and giving them results most importantly. Yeah, that's cool. I will tell I, I was, our story is very similar and we've spoken about it before. It's like yeah. where me and, and I'm, doing the traditional chiropractic and the sports and all that, but I always felt like something wasn't fulfilled and it took the loss of my wife for me to figure out where my purpose is and uh, in doing functional medicine and helping in lifestyle medicine and helping people really uh, change their lifestyle in order to 
to fix a lot of their health problems. And yeah, it's it's just a really similar story. Like you're there, but you're not quite there. Exactly. And then just something flips and then you're like, oh, that's it. I feel that was the missing piece, right? Yeah. Yeah. You just felt like something was always just a little bit off. You felt fulfilled, but not completely fulfilled. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I totally, totally get it. So, um, Give give me an example of some of the cases, some of like the autism or what, or um, some of the kids with sensory disorders, some of the things that you do see come in mm-hmm. and some of their symptoms and maybe some of the treatment protocols you do with them. Yeah, so I'll kind of explain a little bit about um, really the work of my mentor, Dr. Tony, and what he's he's found through the years of doing this work for now 11 years um, is that we've we've really identified some common ingredients um, to a lot of the the chronic childhood illnesses that we're seeing, like autism, like ADHD, like sensory processing disorder. And it really comes down to stress. Uh, The more stress that these kids are encountering early on in their life, Mm -hmm. the more it's affecting their central nervous system. It's affecting um, their brain. It's affecting that master control system of the body, their nervous system. So what we find is very common ingredients, and not every case has all of these ingredients, but we see um, some very common ones that show up in about 80% of the cases, is that it really starts going back towards pregnancy. We see um, a lot of the kids that we take care of, the mom had a very stressful pregnancy. And if we think about it logically, mom sharing the birth supply um, with that developing baby, where the nervous system is developing very, very rapidly in Mm -hmm. that developing Um, fetus and sharing those stress hormones, those cortisol, right through the placenta and and sharing that with the baby. So we see that as a very common ingredient um, in pregnancy. We also see some um, kids that had parents of children with these special needs had uh, fertility challenges or issues getting pregnant, um, maybe had in vitro um, treatments um, done. So there is a fertility component that we see common as well. But really the main thing in pregnancy is that high stress pregnancy. Um, and we're in a day and age too where um, the medical profession treats pregnancy as almost a disease. Um, they're, they're basically um, looking for problems and scaring the SHIT out of mom, um, especially, especially, especially the, the high risk moms that are maybe are advanced maternal age. They're having multiple ultrasounds done. And each time they go into the ultrasound, they're scared because they're wondering, are they going to find something wrong with my baby? So that really high stress pregnancy is, is that first main ingredient that we see. And it's really kind of these chain reactions. So the second ingredient really is birth intervention. So C-section delivery, uh, forceps delivery, vacuum extraction. It could be a really hard, difficult labor or a cord wrapped around the neck. Um, that's where the physical stress comes into play. Mm-hmm. Um, they're basically using 70 to 80 pounds on that upper neck brainstem region of these newborn babies of lifting them out. Um, and we're not saying that those birth interventions are necessarily not needed because they do save a lot of moms, they save a lot of babies' lives, but they do have side effects as well. Um, and that's really what we refer to as the moonwalking bear. That's the first major stressor that starts this cascade. Um, a lot of the publicity gets, um, or vaccines kind of get all the publicity 
and those are often uh, very stressful chemically to the to the baby um, but they're also the the kind of last stressor that they're the straw that broke the camel's back where the symptoms really kind of show up but that first big stressor that we find is really that physical stress at birth uh, via birth intervention like c-section forceps um, and vacuum extractions um, so we've identified those kind of common ingredients or common um, common causes, I guess you could say. I don't want to say necessarily causes because each uh, case is a little bit different, but those are very common mm -hmm. um, things that we see in the case histories that we take. Um, but then when we see that the early warning signs really start from birth in a lot of these kids. Um, so as newborns, they're really colicky, fussy, reflexy, um, just irritable, not sleeping very well, um, babies. And then what happens is they go to their pediatrician and their pediatrician is like, okay, well, they'll grow out of it or they'll put them on reflex medication, masking kind of that underlying problem that there's an issue with the nervous system going on. And then what we see is that uh, some of the kids m may or may not meet their developmental milestones. We haven't found a big correlation to that. We know that some um, autistic kids are very de developmentally behind in those issues, but the sensory kids and ADHD kids, they can meet all of their milestones. So we don't really see that as a big kind of component. But what we do see is a really common thing is that once they get to kind of the toddler age is that they're having chronic sickness, they're having chronic ear infections, chronic uh, sinus infections, chronic ear, nose, throat type of stuff. Then they get their tonsils removed or their adenoids removed. Um, and so we see that as a big component. And then once they get to the three, four, five year old range is when we start to see those sensory and spectrum uh, challenges really start to rear their head. Um, and that's where the parents are usually sending them off to preschool or daycare and they're getting into trouble at preschool. They're, the teacher's sending home notes with mom or dad um, and being like your son or daughter is disrupting the class. They're not able to function very well in the classroom setting. So at that three, four, five year old range is really when the parents are like, oh my gosh, maybe there is something wrong with my child. Um, and so that's what kind of the components that we've really identified, um, my mentors identified really from listening to thousands and thousands of moms case histories. Um, and so we've found those very common ingredients. And then with our care, we're really working on the autonomic nervous system. So that master control system of the body. What we find is those stressors stick that nervous system into a more fight or flight mode, that sympathetic mode of our nervous system, um, instead of going into that rest, digest, growth, healing mode of the parasympathetic mode. Mm -hmm. And then our care is really designed to unwind that stress and tension um, and stimulate that parasympathetic, the rest, digest, growth, healing mode. Um, and then in return, we really can see major, major life changes um, and how they can function on a day-to-day -day basis in a lot of our patients. Yeah, the uh, balance has gotten thrown off from the birthing process or the developmental process, and then it yep. keeps tilted. Like yep. if, you, if you think of a scale, it keeps tilted that whole time, and the automatic, autonomic nervous system is just over, over, over firing, yep. and when we see it in adults, it shows up as autoimmune diseases or other chronic illnesses or uh, mental health disorders or things like that. It's, just, it's exactly it's a it's very a, similar thing. And it's occurs. a cascade of really effects of, you know, it could present symptomatically in a wide range of different symptoms. It doesn't just mean that it's each person is going to have the same 
type of symptoms when their nervous system's in that fight or flight mode. Uh, it really can present in, in many different mm-hmm. symptoms. Yeah. Yeah, I use the same thing. I just tell people it's a symptom. It's a symptom. It's not a disease or a label. It's really yep. a symptom that something's off, something's out of balance. It's a warning sign. Yeah. And you need to correct things. You know, acute stress is good. It helps yep. growth and it helps us expand and, and, and improve. Um, chronic stress sucks. Yep. <laughs> you know? Yep. And it's, and that's the thing is a lot of these things are chronic stressors that keep on, um, whether it's a child or an adult, keep on affecting them over and over and over again. So what's your opinion on these birthing, uh, these birthing techniques using the forceps, the, the C-section, the vacuum? What's your opinion on those? So I think a lot of it um, comes back to kind of doctors' liabilities, the OB's liabilities. Um, so they want to really deliver the baby. Um, it, it, they want to deliver the baby as quick as possible because it cuts down their risk. Once they cut the cord um, on these babies, you know their risk is is kind of um, gone at that point. Um, and so with really our culture now, one in three births is via C-section. Um, and once again, I'm not saying that every, uh, these birth interventions are necessarily bad because they do save a lot of moms and babies lives. But I think we've grown into a culture where doctors are fearful for their risk, um, of delivering a vaginal birth because it's a lot longer process Mm -hmm. to, uh, deliver vaginally. And then there's a lot more time for things to go wrong for baby and mom during a vaginal birth. Um, so I think part of it is the risk involved, um, with the OBs. And then I think uh, part of it, too, is that now um, it's become culturally accepted that moms just think, oh, I'm just going to go in for a C-section. It's just like a normal procedure nowadays. They don't know any of the risks involved with it. They don't know any um, of the risks that it, of really what a C-section even looks like. If mm-hmm. moms were to YouTube what a C-section delivery looked like, they would be like, oh, my gosh, they're literally lifting my newborn baby up by its head and neck. Um, out of my womb, um, I think they would might reconsider just taking the doctor's word for for having the C-section. And like I said, some moms um, might medically necessarily need a C-section, um, but a lot of times we don't empower women during the birth process to have a natural vaginal delivery anymore either. Mm-hmm. Um, we're always taught, you know, that thing, more things are going to go wrong during a natural vaginal delivery than things are going to go wrong with a medical intervention like a C-section vacuum um, or forceps delivery. So it's kind of the culture that we live in now that those birth interventions are, are the normal birth nowadays. Yeah, it's, it's, it's sad. We just had ours. I didn't tell you. We just had our, my wife had her seventh. It's mm-hmm. my fourth with her. And um, just about a month ago. And uh, we did a water birth. And this, yep. is our third wa- this was our third water birth. And so, um, it, it's funny because when she decided to start pushing, um, from that time to the time the baby actually came out, she thought it was like an hour. An eternity. It was like 11 minutes. <laughs> right. Like when I looked at the yep. midwife's notes, it was 11 minutes. Yep. I said, it, I don't know, it was like 20 minutes. And then I was even high. Mm-hmm. I was almost double what it was, but it was like 11 minutes. And uh, it's because the baby kept on just slowly moving where the other ones it was like, the three before that were three pushes and they were out, mm-hmm. you know, uh, maybe three or four. And this one was probably like 20, 25 pushes, yep. you know? And so to her, it was like forever. And I was just like 
sitting there checking and I just had my hands on the inside because I've caught all four of my daughters. Um, but I just had my hands on the inside. It was just like trying to clear the labia a little bit further up. Mm-hmm. She goes, stop pushing on me. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm not really pushing. I'm like maybe putting two pounds of pressure total on there. Yep. And it was just so funny. She was like so sensitive. I was like, okay, now you're just on your own. I'm just going to sit here and wait for this time. Now I told you, uh, I'll tell you one thing is like, I got a little scared during the time because, um, after the, our daughter came out, she wasn't breathing right away, mm-hmm. you know, but, uh, um, you know, uh, we start rubbing her and then she, a little bit of a breath, but then we had to use the bag two or three times yep. just to give her a little bit more, but it was fine after that. Yep. And then we did a lotus birth. This is our second lotus birth. Oh, cool. So we kept that placenta attached. Yep. People that don't know what this is, you keep the placenta attached and then you let it naturally fall off. Three days. The last two that we did were lotus births. Three days, the umbilical cord drops off by itself. And so it was really, it's really cool. It kind of sucks because you got to carry the placenta with you. So you, Right. But they've also forced my wife to stay more in bed and rest mm-hmm. so she wouldn't get up as much because she overdoes it. Like, she's overdone it yep. on the conventionals a little too much too early, and then she's sore for weeks after. But this kept her in bed. And so then after the, the baby's fine, then she's slowly getting up herself, and she's taking it a little bit more easier. But her recovery's been a lot better. Right. You know? So and that and the benefits really of that is keeping the placenta attached is um, for the viewers out there is really to make sure that the the baby and is able to get all that good nutrients in the blood fully transferred over because when we cut the cord you know two minutes after birth there's still a ton of blood that yeah. could have rushed into into the baby's body and set it up really um, from birth. At, going forward yeah she has a like a naturally now higher iron content she has more hemoglobin more blood cells in there she's got more stem cells too so yeah we've noticed i've noticed this with the last the last one and probably her she like the them getting um getting infections and being as sick as maybe some of the older children Mm -hmm. is is a less, even though we don't vaccinate yep um it is a little it i have noticed that she they do get a little less sick and that, or they recover. She recovers so much quicker yep. than her siblings. Like she'll recover in a day compared to her other siblings might do two days or three days. Yeah. And who would, who would think why not just leave it alone and let the body and their bodies do what it's naturally supposed to do. Right. We yes. kind of get in the way a lot of the times with healthcare now of the body's natural processes and, and, um, and we really disempower people of, from from really taking health into their own hands. We think now uh, in our culture that that basically a, a pill or some medicine is going to determine the fate of our health um, when really it's in our hands. Mm-hmm. Um, we just got to get it out of the way a lot of the times and help it along the process. Yeah. Um, and that's what I really kind of tell a lot of um, our families and patients is really I'm just here as a guide to guide them along in the journey. And I think that's where healthcare is kind of slowly starting to, to shift is that the doctors now, um, like yourself and myself, we're more of just guides and guiding the our patients along in the process. Yeah, we have different, more natural protocols and stuff, 
uh, but we're also there for information resources of how to get their their ducks in a row mm -hmm. basically for their their health um, making sure that they're eating a proper diet making sure that they're moving um, getting the proper exercise and nutrition is obviously two major components to health um, but you're not going to really get that from uh, the conventional medical doctor yeah. these days or even most conventional natural doctors as well um, I think really as a healthcare profession um, we need to really shift towards being that guide in our patients' lives and, and helping them along the health journey because it's not just a quick fix um, if you want to do things naturally. It's a process and it's a lifestyle change. Mm -hmm. um, and that goes with a lot of the kids that are on the spectrum and with sensory challenges. I mean, they got to overhaul diet a lot of the times. They've got to make major lifestyle changes to fully get the most benefit um, for their child's recovery. Yeah, a lot of times it's the parent yep. that has to make the changes. Um, same, well, this is uh, this uh, this will be an analogy, but um, I'll go back a little bit first. Um, yeah, I tell people I'm your coach. I'm it. I, you know, yep. the, the top people, Michael Jordan, had coaches. You know, uh, the President of the United States has coaches or consultants. Like, that's what I am. I'm your coach and consultant. I'm going to guide you where you need to go it's you have to take yourself you have to take some onus and, and do the rest but you know th that's what i'm here for um but uh yeah it's, to get in to get into that yeah people need to empower but it's like it's almost like uh if you ever watch uh the dog whisperer yeah caesar malone yeah he's really training the people he's not training the dog right <laughs> you know yeah exactly. and, and it's the same thing we got to train the parents exactly because they're the ones making the choices of what to feed their kids and yeah. all of that. And a lot of the times, yeah, the parents are the ones that are like, oh, my gosh, this is too daunting of a task um, for me to overhaul. And, yeah, it is difficult in our culture and society when we're bombarded by, you know, bad choices all the yeah. time. This fast food mentality. Yeah. yeah. This quick fix. I got to get it now. Yeah. I have to have the instant Things. Which isn't really fuel for their bodies. It's just mm. suppressing the, the hunger, the appetite, um, and basically turning off those sensors in the stomach to be like, okay, I don't need to eat anymore, but is the body actually going to be able to use that food in a positive way? Um, chances are not, not, not as much as whole foods, obviously, or yeah. real food. Yeah, I tell people, like, I can tell the difference. You can tell the difference with your with your child. Like, if they're getting hungry an hour later, like, you just ate Chinese food and there's yep. no nutrients. Yep. You know, it's not that good for you. Like, you're getting that quick turnaround. You didn't feed them right. They need to, like, they would be content if they had everything that they needed if it was done correctly. You need to, you know, feed them correctly and you won't be feeding them every hour, every two hours. You know, um, yeah, I find that quite a bit with people. Yeah. Um, yeah, the parents are the, unfortunately, the parents are the big thing, but that's just the, uh, that's the time we grew up when that was considered that it only became the norm yep. for it. And it's, un, it's unfortunate and it's untraining people to retrain them. Yep. The old ways. Yep. It's all about really going, kind of going back to the science behind really all of our work is is neuroplasticity so mm -hmm. it takes that time and repetition to retrain the brain reform new pathways 
um, in the brain and it's, it's habit forming. I mean, that's what neuroplasticity is. That's how our care works. That's how, um, uh, that's how nutrition works. That's how getting on an exercise program works. It's all about retraining that brain, um, in a new way and forming those new pathways, which is really, really cool to know that our brain's capable of yeah. doing that. <laughs> I try to get them to, um, one of the things I've been doing is I've been trying to get people to do it with another habit that's so ingrained. So like start doing something new, like I'll have them say affirmations when they brush their teeth. Mm -hmm. So because, so it, that affirmation will stick a lot quicker. Then I make them smile and clap while they're saying it too. Cause I want to activate yeah. more parts of the brain, uh, with the smiling. I want to trigger dopamine. I said, even if you fake smile, you're triggering dopamine. Yep. I said, they took a stim unit and just made, like, stimulate the muscles for somebody to smile. And they measured their dopamine levels and they were increased, I forget how many, 100%. And that, I said, that all builds on. Yep. And the stronger we can make that connection, the quicker we can make that connection, the more, you know, the stronger it's going to get yep. when it really, when it really works and, and gets in. So, yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, if you piggyback anything you decide to do on top of another habit, even if it's driving the car, something that's so second nature to you, um, it'll, it'll stick a lot easier and it'll become a lot, uh, lot stronger because you're piggybacking it something else in your brain. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. So, um, okay, what are, the, what are the three things that are most... Um, concerning to you that you see in practice yeah in practice um, I would say a lack the number one really thing is a lack of training really on a lot of the pediatricians um, on sensory spectrum uh, disorders uh, unfortunately a lot of the times is we get parents that come to us that you know, they're exhibiting these warning signs. Their baby's fussy, colicky, maybe failure to thrive, not gaining weight properly. Um, all these warning signs that something's not going wrong. And we hear a lot of the times is that the parents are told by the pediatricians that it's okay, they'll grow out of it eventually. And they might grow out of some of those symptoms, but what we know now is that they grow into these other symptoms. Mm -hmm. Those symptoms morph and manifest in, in different ways. Um, so that's probably the biggest thing is we need everybody, especially that is working with kids, to be properly trained um, on this. So I don't know if that uh, if that really falls back on you know some of our our colleges um, of training the doctors getting out nowadays on these issues. I know as a chiropractor, I was I had no clue yeah. about these issues. You know, I went through postgraduate training um to learn about all this stuff which i'm sure a lot of the stuff you've learned yeah. is postgraduate right so <laughs> I learn more like i got my basic science but there's so much more i learned after yeah i thought i would never use biochemistry on or, yep. or or very minimal in biochemistry and and, uh, and uh, microbiology and all that that's all i utilize now yep so the I mean, I hated the most are the ones I utilize the the most now. Right. So I think it would really go back to um, not if I was to place the blame on anybody, it would really be like the schools. I'm not blaming obviously the pediatricians or anything like that. That's not their fault that they don't have that knowledge. It really goes back to the school mm -hmm. um, of preparing. Um, 
people uh, and the doctors properly. Um, and so we, we really are seeing a huge increase in these conditions nowadays in our kids. And so the second, to kind of piggyback into the second thing, the biggest concern for me would be that parents aren't asking enough questions why these things are becoming more and more common. We're just accepting it as a culture. We're accepting chronic disease. We're accepting decreased quality of life. Yeah, our life expectancy might be going up or relatively staying the same. It's actually leveled out. I've heard that it's leveled out now um, recently, but our quality of life is dropping significantly. Um, And so we're seeing more and more chronic disease. And as a culture, the most concerning thing is we're accepting it. We're not asking the questions, why are we becoming sicker? Um, Let's get down to really the real answers behind a lot of these problems. Um, So that would be really my second most concerning thing. Um, And third, um, I would say probably, I would say the third most concerning thing for me would be um, professionals in healthcare acting as competition um, with one another and everybody thinking that, you know, other resources, other therapies, other interventions um, are competition when we're all in this for the, mm-hmm. for the same thing. We all want our patients to get the best possible results um, that they can. Um, so I think as a healthcare community and all the different aspects of healthcare um, and all the different I guess, philosophies on healthcare, we need to come together. And that's where kind of an integrative approach is starting to show up a little bit. Um, But really, we need to work together as healthcare professionals um, and trying different different avenues, uh, because there's not obviously a a one fix all, there's no magic bullet, otherwise, somebody would be a millionaire, multi multi millionaire. (laughs) Um, So it's really working together. Um, and having a team of healthcare providers uh, for the patients. Um, so that last component would really be the concern of people um, within our, our professions um, kind of viewing each other as competition versus mm-hmm. as, as a, a being on the same team. Yeah, and there's funny because even as teams are starting to form the integrated practices, uh, or the multidisciplinary practices are forming, it's still, they're still staying in house with stuff, trying to right. refer in house instead of like, you know, this might be better for this person out there. Exactly. Rather than, yeah, you know, a lot of them are still staying in house, which it's still a problem. Like you right. might get a little bit better, but if they just learn to refer to somebody that they know is going to be best yep. for the client. But unfortunately, like when I know in the medical community, when you're talking like medical groups, um, you know, they get paid more the more the patient stays in and they get paid less. It kind of gets, they get dinged yep. for when the patient goes out. Yep. So that's why they want to s- stick in house and they need to, doctors are more afraid of losing their paycheck or losing their income or being fired than just doing what's best. Yeah. Yep. Well, it always comes down to the money. money. I mean, everything that runs everything in our country comes back to money. Um, so living in obviously capitalistic society, um, everything is run by the greed and and of money. That's mm-hmm. that's unfortunate, but it's realistically um, what it comes down to. People could bring me pasture raised eggs <laughs> and grass right? fed beef. You know, I'm cool with that. I know, you know? that'd be that'd be <laughs> fine with me too if we could all 
gift in some ways that would benefit one another. That would definitely, um, definitely be an awesome transformation in our society. But unfortunately, it'll never, (laughs) never happen that way. (laughs) Maybe Bitcoin will help with it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But uh, okay. So then, what are three wishes that you would have for people or or the community or in Uh, general for yourself? I would say number one would be for everyone to do their own education out there. Um, we live in luckily a te- uh, age where we have Google, um, we have the internet where we can research a lot of these things. And if, you know, it does take a lot of time. It takes hours and hours. We always call the moms that really have researched every thing under the sun out there as our mm-hmm. warrior moms because they've done hours and hours and hours of research on Google they didn't just settle for your child will grow out of this yeah. or what's on the first page right. of Google and then keep on going. Yep. And so the biggest wish I would say is for mm-hmm. everyone to be like that. Um, because we have access to all this information on the internet nowadays, do your own research and then come to your own conclusions. Uh, you don't have to just do what your doctor says, go home and, and really research each treatment. Um, and, make a decision for yourself. Don't get pressured into a decision um, type of thing. I'd like to caveat on to that is like, but don't try everything too, especially right. at one time. Right. Because you can't overwhelm the body. I mean, the yeah. body can only take so much at one time. I tell people it's a lot easier and it's more helpful to eliminate things than to add to it. Because if you already have a stressed out system and you add to it, you could be it's adding stress another stress. It's going to stress yeah. it more. You know, even a vitamin and all that. I see a lot of people that um, they overdo it with the vitamins. When I see somebody bring in a bag of vitamins, I'm like, you're autoimmune. Yep. I'm telling you right now, you're autoimmune. I don't know which autoimmune condition you have right now, but I know you're autoimmune because you are over-medicating yourself with vitamins and supplements and natural things. And I said, it may be just as dangerous or more dangerous than medication. Right. You know, depending on how you're pushing things. So, yeah. Um, Okay, so what would be number two for you? The second wish would be um, probably to go, I guess, back off of the challenges. Um, I would say my second wish would be for all of us providers to work together synergistically to help um, our patients achieve the best possible results. And especially um, in my community, working with the special needs, we see a lot of um, most of the kids that come into our office are already seeing OTs. They're already seeing ABA therapists. They're already seeing speech therapists. They're already seeing, you know, all the different therapies out there. Um, and we always try to work with a lot of the therapy offices, uh, that we have common patients with, um, and all of these therapy centers, the majority of them, you know, they've got waiting lists. So, um, we always try to tell them, you know, send us your hardest patient that's not progressing, that doesn't seem like they're making any progress with their therapies, uh, mm-hmm. see if we can help unlock them and help them um, really get more progress with their therapies. We're not trying to take away from them and be like, come to us and then stop your therapies. No, we want to work together. Um, so really in our kind of um, niche, I would say that would be number two um, is, is really working together for the best, um, of these patients, because a lot of the parents out there too, that have kids with major struggles like this, they're willing to try other things. 
Um, all they have to be is directed in the right direction to try these other things. Um, they, they're on a mission to help heal their child and they'll do whatever it takes um, to get their child to the best of their function and ability. What percentage of kids now have developmental issues? Uh, I think their most recent statistic um, was, and this I think is autism, was one in 32, I believe. It was either boys or um, boys and girls. I can't remember if it was just boys or if it was boys and girls. But it's like yeah. one in 60 like a couple of years ago. Yep, and it's just, it's just continuing. Just I, saw, yeah. I saw some statistic that I think it was um, within 10 years that one in two um, children could be on the spectrum, labeled on the spectrum. So we, we know it's not decreasing, it's only increasing. Um, and going back to really asking why is this, happening we need to as a culture and society we can't let our kids come into the world with all these challenges i mean they're just going to rack up tons and tons of of medical debt which we see with a lot of the kids with these challenges is mm -hmm. it is a financial burden for a lot of them because they're you know in therapies for pretty much their whole entire um elementary year or i guess from the age of really like two years old to uh, 10, 11, 12, 13 years old, a lot of these kids are going to therapies on a weekly basis. Um, so the financial burden is definitely real for a lot of those families. Um, so we need to start asking that question, why are these things ha becoming more and more common? Yeah, it's a bank uh, that's the number one source of bankruptcy is medical, medical. bills. Yep. No. So, yeah, that's yeah, it's huge. Okay. So what's, uh, what's number three? And then number three, I think, would be... I don't know if this it could happen, I would say, maybe in the next 10 or 20 years. Um, I think we're slowly having a healthcare kind of revolution, but I think number three would be more acceptance um, into these natural approaches to health and the less, um, the less I guess, risky um, protocols out there. So mm -hmm. um, you're not going to hear about those on the news or anything like that, um, and so my wish really would be for more acceptance um, into the natural therapies, into the natural healthcare um, world, like acupuncture, like chiropractic care, um, like integrative type of stuff, um, more acceptance. And if we, we could be, these natural approaches be the first line of defense, I think we'd really see a, a major change in our overall health as a culture, as a country. Yeah, we need to take like the Japanese and Chinese models and the doctors, where the doctors get paid more, the healthier their patients are. Right. And then they get dinged off of that. Yeah. I think if we switch to that kind of systematic approach, um, and then also lower, that would also lower the number of patients that doctors would have to see, too. Right. Um, but their schedules wouldn't be so jam-packed, and people wouldn't have to wait an hour each time they go to the doctor's office, which is also a problem, is it's also a time burden for a lot of people. So if you have multiple doctor's appointments a week and you're waiting 30 minutes to an hour just to see the doctor, then you're in a room waiting for the doctor again for 15, 20 minutes. Um, yes. All that time adds up. I know it's making a shift because I met a uh, medical physician on Wednesday. and She's a concierge doctor, but she does more in the, um, more in the corporate kind of thing 
where the court, the company will pay her a flat rate for the for the year, and then but she has these doctors and she's matching their salaries or what they're making right now in private practice, uh, what they're taking home, uh, and then she works at a deal with the insurance companies too on certain services are are already included and all that. So lowering the overall healthcare cost and her doctors only have to see one patient an hour. Wow. So they see eight patients a day, not twenty plus. Right. A day, and so and then they they they're not under the stress. They can do what they need to do with the patient. That's like, not feeling that's, rushed either. Yeah, yeah, because it is. You're under a burden. Like when you have a practice, you have a lot of overhead. Our yeah. overhead is somewhere fifty plus percent. Yep. People don't understand that. Um, dentists are even worse. I don't know if you know a dentist is like seventy eighty percent is overhead. I didn't realize that. Yeah, well, that much. all that equipment that you got to think all that equipment they have, but all the staff for the yeah, cleanings and true. all that. That's yeah, just, dental hygienists make pretty good money. They got to pay them out a, yeah. a decent salary. And that's why they have the highest suicide rate, just because of all that stress. And, and physicians in general have a high suicide rate. Right. It's because people don't understand the financial stress. And it does. It boils down to the money. And some of these people, you have to see more people and you're getting paid less. You know, that's why the insurance model doesn't work. Yep. You know, and they're just trying to cover up symptoms. And they're. Yes, our life expectancy did grow, but we were sicker. We are sicker, right? Even though we're living longer, you know, we're just sicker as a community. And in the next, under the next twenty years, the bank, we're, it, the system's going to bankrupt. Yep. Because you can't keep on borrowing from one system to pay into the other, nope. especially when the other one's growing so much quicker at an exponential rate. Yep. Yeah, it's just it's crazy. It is. It is. It's crazy. Well, um, what else would you like people to know about you, about your practice, um, about things that they can do for themselves? I would say just uh, for our practice. I mean, check out our, our website, PinnacleBradington.com. Check out our Facebook page, Pinnacle Chiropractic, um, and look at all the reviews. Uh, we really are seeing awesome, awesome results with a lot of our kids and families um, and it's 100% natural, safe, effective results that we're we're getting. Um, and we're in this journey um, with the family. So the big thing that I want people to know really about our office is that our office staff, my staff members um, who run the front desk and stuff like that, uh, they all have children with uh, special needs. So we can connect on a deeper level. Um, we a can, lot of them are functioning completely well. Which right are functioning, yeah, um, amazingly well. So they've been through our care. They know what to expect. Um, and they're also there as a resource um, to give you hope, give you answers, and then really um, lift you up um, during the struggles and, and the tough times uh, because we know how physically draining and mentally exhausting it can be having a child with, with major, major challenges. Um, and so that would, I would say the biggest thing I would want people to know about our office is that we're really here in this fight with you guys. Um, and we're going to be as supportive as possible, um, through the process with our office. And people need to understand that this isn't a quick fix. It's nope. not a one time nope. thing. Nope. It takes multiple time and repetition kind of going back to that neuroplasticity is that, um, we're basically re forming a new pattern or new habit with the brain from the stressed out basically state to a more calm, relaxed, 
um, properly functioning state. Um, so it does take time and repetition. We're talking about, you know, four to six months of intensive care in the beginning um, stages of, of our care. So yeah, it's not a quick fix. It's not just one or two adjustments and your child's going to be better and functioning at a whole different level. Pain relief, that might be right. true. But... <laughs> Pain relief, that might be true, but not if you're really going to affect the, the nervous system yeah. uh, because of the neuroplasticity of the brain. It really takes that time and rep repetition to get those long-term results that the families are, are really wanting for their child. So, yeah, if, if people want to seek care, there's a network, say they don't live in this area, mm -hmm. there's a network of doctors you can refer them to. Yep, exactly. So if you go to thethenwf.org, all the providers that are trained underneath my mentor, Dr. Tony, um, are listed on that website. And they are extremely vetted. Um, and so we don't, we don't just accept anybody to get their name on that website. They have to go through the training under Dr. Tony. Um, and really learn how to take care of these kids and the, the care that they really require. Um, and so if you're looking for a provider all around the world, we have, I think, around 200 to 300 providers now um, that are trained underneath him. Um, you can go to that website and find somebody in your area or if you have a family member uh, that lives out of state in, in their area as well. Okay, so we're, we're in the Lakewood Ranch, Sarasota, Brainton area of Florida. Um, where, like in this distance, about how far of a distance do you see most of your patients from that travel to you? So we actually have one family traveling from Lakeland now, which um, an hour for, away. is an, over an hour away. Yep, yeah. um, We see a lot of people from as far south as really Venice and as far north as Palmetto Parish area. So um, I would say most patients radius. Yep, are, are really... The majority of our patients are traveling somewhere between 20 to 30 minutes um, to come to see us. And you're not far off the interstate. So and we're right off of the interstate, so we have that access um, that's easy to just hop on the interstate. And, and as long as there's no accident on I-75, <laughs> then it should be pretty smooth sailing to get here. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, well, great. Uh, any other things you'd like to add? I don't think so. I just really appreciate you having me on here and um, appreciate really you for coming on, having the the conversations that we did about healthcare and the changes that we need to see, um, and really raising awareness, more awareness about what we're doing here specifically in our office with with the kids with special needs. I know the people that have asked me questions and I referred them over to you. Call me back and thank me, like in the like in the first week or two weeks. Right, like they've already seen like big changes in their yep. kids. And then they were like, tell me, like, thank you for that referral. We're so happy. We're already seeing results. Teachers are already telling us, like, what are you doing? Or thinking we're already putting our kids on medications, yep. you know, and they did. Yeah, big changes. Yeah. Or even early on, as, as we do have that intensive phase of care, that's not how long it takes to see results. You can see results um, pretty early on with um, symptoms. It just takes that long to really get the nervous system where we want it to be yeah. functioning properly. Cool, cool. Well, thank you again yeah. for coming on. Thanks a lot, Doc. And uh, we'll do this again sometime. Sounds great. All right, bye. This has been another episode of Trust Me, I'm a Doctor. Uh, thank you for listening. I would urge you to share this episode with Dr. Morris um, to people that you know that have children with autism, ADD, ADHD, spectrum disorder, other um, uh 
uh, disabilities that could possibly get help from him or somebody like him. Um, also, if you like what you're hearing on the show and you want to hear more of something, tell me. Go to anchor.fm slash doc. Leave me a message and let me know what you want to hear, what you don't want to hear, or what you want to hear more of. Um, make sure you share this, like I said, um, with people that you know, people that you know that could benefit from listening to this podcast. And again, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. You mean the world to me. And until next time, I'm Dr. Sean Stringer. Peace. Doctor. 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 And doctor. Well, we miss anyone? Slower is better. Trust me. I'm a doctor.